If you have your Bibles, open it to Romans chapter 8. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and they'll bring you one. Romans chapter 8. Verse 28. Paul writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all of Scripture, the book of Romans is a treasure chest. It is rich in truth. It's been called the gospel of grace. And in the book of Romans, chapter 8 is a gem that stands out. And in chapter 8, verse 28, is the brilliance, the sparkle of that gem. This is a promise that has been claimed by so many, that has been an anchor to so many. And I want it to be a foundation for us here this morning. I want it to be something that we can build our lives on, that we can understand, that we can recognize the truth that is in this verse that will carry us through our lives. And the first thing I want to ask ourselves is what does he mean by good? He tells us that in all things, God works for the good. And we really need to understand a gain perspective of this word good. In Matthew Chapter 6, verse 22 through 24, Jesus said, Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. And he's talking about our perspective and how we see things. If we don't see things clearly, it will taint our lives. And then to give us a little clarity on what he's talking about, he goes on and he says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve God and serve the things that are temporary, that are there just to satisfy you. And Jesus is giving us understanding of how we are to see and what is good. Because we can be confused. Our interpretation of what is good can be tainted by our own appetites. You see, it was good yesterday that the Dodgers won. Unless you live in Colorado. <laughs> then it's not good. 
You see, based on our own preference, we decide what is good because it's good for what I want. My personal needs. Years back, I applied for a job. I was working for a company and I desperately wanted to get out of it. It was a very difficult situation. I was kind of working here out of necessity to provide for my family and it was very strenuous, a lot of turmoil in the company. It was a construction company. I ran the shop. I was a foreman for the shop, and there was a lot of things going on that were very difficult to deal with, and I wanted out. An opportunity came to work for the Metropolitan Water Department in Los Angeles, and I thought, this is my ticket out. I'm going to get out of this hellhole finally. And I, that's what I thought. And so I went and interviewed, and I did well in the interview, and things were looking good. The guy who was in charge said, you know what, you're the man for the job. We're going to hire you. Let us just take care of the paperwork, and I'll get in touch with you. Took my phone number, gave me his phone number. I was jazzed, went home, celebrated. I don't know what we did. We went to in and out. I don't know. We, we, we celebrated. We thought, all right, I, I'm getting this job. The money's better. Benefits. It's a good thing. A week went by. No phone call. I called him. He didn't pick up. It went to his answer machine. Two weeks went by. Still no phone call. Called again. Finally got a hold of him. And he told me, oh, I'm sorry. That job has been given to someone else. I found out a supervisor's nephew got the job. You ever been there? Stupid nephew. <laughs> All of a sudden, this wasn't good. Oh, no, this isn't good. I'm still stuck where I'm at. Found out just a couple months later, that department closed down. It's good again. <laughs> Remember last week we talked about we don't know what to pray for as we should in verse 26. There are, there are limitations that we have in understanding. There are limitations to how we see things. And God wants us to understand that what he works for is a good that is not necessarily what we think is good, but what he thinks is good. Because what he thinks is good is the ultimate good. It is something that we can build upon. Because let's face it, nothing in this world is secure. Nothing. And he wants us to build our lives on something that is good. He wants us to have a perspective. He's addressing those who are in Rome, the church who is in Rome. He's talking about a people that are going to go through, in a very near future, intense persecution. They're going to be fed to the lions in the Colosseum. They're already experiencing those things. It was not a safe place to be a Christian in the world. 
There was a lot of hostility, and there still is through most of the world. They estimate about 160,000 Christians are being persecuted every year. It's incredible. And in the midst of this, Paul is trying to give them perspective. It's his point trying to sum up what has gone before, that God is for us and therefore no one can be against us, he tells us. But if God is love, if God is good, if God is caring, why are these things happening? And, and to put context into Romans 8.28, all things work for the good. We need to understand what Paul is talking about, what he's been talking about, and what he's going to be talking about. In verse 17, he says that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Verse 20, the creation was subjected to frustration. We're talking about just this strain going back and forth, this frustration, this suffering. Verse 23, not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Well, that's what hope means. Hope means to wait for something. Why would he state the obvious? Why is he saying, well, we're waiting with hope? Because it's something we don't yet see. It's something we don't yet have. It's something that we are longing for. It is vacant in our lives. Verse 35, he's going on and says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or the sword? You see, Romans 8.28 is sandwiched in between suffering and peril and danger. It is placed in a context of turmoil, of desperation, of difficulty. That is the context. And it would be a grave mistake for us to think that Romans 8.28 means that I am going to get the promotion, that my team is going to win the World Series. All things work for the good. The Dodgers are going to take it. That's not what he's talking about. That would be great. Sorry, you Angel or Yankee fans. That would be great, but that's not what he's talking about. All things working for the good. He's talking to a church that is going to go through intense persecution and suffering, and he's letting them know that your suffering, your difficulty has purpose. It has purpose. And it's important that we recognize this purpose, that we understand he's working for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Now, I want to go through three examples where we see this taking place, and they're stories that you're familiar with, 
but I think it's important. I want to highlight some things that we understand what is meant by purpose. What is meant when God says that he's called him according to his purpose and what that means. The first person is Joseph. We're familiar with the story. Joseph and his brothers, he was hated by his brothers because he had a dream that basically said that he was going to rule over them. He was the favorite child. So the brothers had animosity against them. They were out to get him, and sure enough, opportunity came. They threw him in a pit. They sold him as a slave. They took his coat and took it back and sprinkled some blood on it and made it look like he was killed by a wild animal and told his father, Joseph's dead. And here goes Joseph into Egypt, and here's his father, his son, who he loves, is thought was ravaged by an animal and is no more. Terrible circumstances. He goes into this prison, and he's working in this prison, and he gets out, And he works for a man named Potiphar only to be accused falsely by his wife and thrown back into prison. Finally, he interprets a dream and he gets out and he goes and serves under Pharaoh and is raised up in the ranks to be second under Pharaoh. And this is 17 years or so that take place. Just... Put that in your brain somewhere. File that. 17 years takes place when this happens. And I want to look and see some things that God says about Joseph. The first is in Genesis 45, verse 7. It says, But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. As the story unfolds, there is a huge famine, seven years. Joseph is instrumental in helping maintain the food supply throughout that time, and his brothers and his father sends them there because they are out of food. They have to go to Egypt, and they come before Joseph, not recognizing that it's him. But when they finally understand that it's him, Joseph says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve. Notice the words, God sent me. It's important to understand that. We even get a, a more glimpse of this in Psalm 105, 16 and 17, where it says, He called down famine on the land and destroyed all the supplies of food, and he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. He is God. He sent a man. God had his hand in this circumstance. So much to the point that when finally Joseph is confronting with his brothers with who he is, and they're like, oh my gosh, it's our brother who we sold as a slave. He is now the one who determines our fate. He's going to be our judge. And Joseph's response to them, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. This is the Old Testament version of Romans 8.28. God is able to work all things for the good. You meant it for one way, but God meant it 
God sent me. It's not just God is using it. God intended it. God had purpose with me being sold as a slave to save the very ones who sold me into that place for the saving of many lives. We have to think different if we are going to understand what it means for all things to work for the good in our lives. We are going to have to stop being so self-centered and so selfish and recognize that your life and my life are not just for you, that you have a purpose that affects other people. Why is the church called the body of Christ? Because we are participating together, working as Jesus would. We are not here just for the one. Paul says that if one member suffers, they all suffer. The hand is not there for itself. It's there for the rest of the body. You are not here just for yourself. Jesus said, if you seek your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. God meant it for good. It was a terrible thing. Seventeen years. Are you in a situation that's difficult? How long have you been there? Man, it's been a week now. When is it going to end? Seventeen years. What's your perspective? How are you seeing things? All things work together for the good, for God's people. All things include the evil that is done to Joseph and his father Jacob. But notice that God did not just watch the evil events unfold with no purpose and then bring good out of them. He was involved in the purpose. And this is where we need to understand Romans 8.28 is taking us. It is giving us insight into the invisible things that God is doing in our lives that we may not see. Do you think Joseph said, oh, it's okay, in 15 more years this is all going to be good? I don't think so. He just had to keep on doing what was right throughout that time, not compromising his faith with Potiphar's wife, maintaining honor. How about Esther? Ladies, you guys are going through this. You know, in verse or chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Who knows? that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai's words to Esther. Now, understand what happened to Esther, and you ladies who are part of the Bible study have heard this from Beth Moore. You know, it sounds really nice that she was, you know, brought to this place of queen because his queen Vashti, Erxes' queen Vashti, you know, he 
got rid of her. And then he had a beauty pageant to see who else could be his queen. And Esther was one of the people among that, one of the many. But this isn't a nice thing. She wasn't volunteering for this. She was taken captive and put in this man's harem. Young teenager. Had to sleep with this guy. As well as all the other women. She was just one of the herd. This isn't a future that she would hope for. This isn't saying, oh boy, someday I hope I can be in this pagan king's harem. That's my goal. Wasn't that at all. In fact, as this takes place, she hadn't been called into his presence for quite some time, which meant he's past her now and going on to the other ladies. The other ladies. So just imagine how that plays on her conscience. And in the middle of this, Mordecai comes up to her and says, you're in the palace. You have this opportunity. Who knows? Maybe you've been brought into this place for such a time as this. You mean that God would have me be brought into this man's harem to be defiled in this way so that he could use me to save this nation? Personally, doesn't sound like a great thing. But for the nation of Israel, it was. And once again, we see that our perspective of how we see things is very important. God knows, and now we know, because we have seen the end of the story, that she came to the kingdom through all her humiliation and defilement to save God's people God works all things together for good for his people. And so now we start saying that the idea of for good is not just for me, but it is for God and his plans. Now, make no bones about it. It's good for the people, too. It's good because Esther would have been one of the many who were slaughtered. Joseph would have been one of the many who starved to death. It works out for the good, but it's just not the way we see things. It doesn't work the way we plan. And I know some of the hardship that a lot of you guys are going through, and I, I see that and my heart breaks and I think, oh gosh, this is difficult, this is hard, this is, why is this happening? And I don't know the whys, but I know this, that there is a work taking place that I can't see, that you can't see, but we know that God is at work. We know we have faith in spite of the suffering, in spite of the difficulties. We have assurance that holds us, that we can build our lives on. It is not futile. Your life has a purpose that is bigger than you. It is connected to God himself. And we have to have this perspective. The last and clearest example is Jesus himself. We know that Jesus went to the cross not for himself, 
but for the world. And we know that Jesus, when he stood before Pilate, and Pilate says, don't you know that I have the authority to put you to death? And Jesus says, you have no authority unless it was given to you. In Acts 4.27, it says, Indeed, Herod and Pontus, as they were praying, the disciples were praying, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. God had a purpose. Oh, they acted on their free will. They did what they wanted, but God had a purpose. And God's purpose worked underneath all these. All these things are against us, but they all work together for the good. You see, God is greater than the wickedness of the world around us, but more than that, he has purpose to our lives and the direction that we are going. It's not just, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you through it in the end. I'll be there for you when you finally cross that finish line. Until then, I hope you make it. Good luck, kid. That's not what Romans 8.28 says. It says that God is working all things for the good. Why is Paul telling the church at Rome this? Why is he bringing this exclamation to them who are going through the persecution, who are going through the difficulty? Remember, as we started the book of Romans, a lot of people felt that, well, Paul doesn't want to come to Rome because, you know, he can't handle it here. This is too difficult. He doesn't understand the pressures that are here from the political side as well as the pressures just from the financial element. This is the metropolitan area. This is the, the mecca of the world at that time, Rome. And Paul says, no, I will be there. I need to go to Rome. And he did. We saw that in the book of Acts to show them that, you know what, Rome is no big deal to God. That God is working even in this empire and he wants to use you, the small group of followers of Christ, to change Rome, to change the world. How is he going to do that? How can he do that? He is God. He is able to work all things for the good. Even an empire that is causing persecution, he says, don't let that fool you. Don't let that blind you. Don't shrink back and think, oh no, what, what's going to happen to us? They're too big. They're too strong. No, God is working in you and he's working through these things to accomplish his good. And you see, Romans 8.28 is a call to follow Jesus in the risks of love no matter what it costs. Because whatever it costs, it will work for your good. It is the green light that says, go. Serve me, live for me, follow after me. Don't worry about Rome. Don't worry about the persecution. Don't worry about 
Mexico, don't worry about Africa. Don't worry about going to Iran. Don't worry about going to Iraq. Don't worry about going to South Central L.A. Don't worry about it. I'm at work. All things will work out for the good. Don't fear. Understand that I have a purpose. In spite of the impression, in spite of the suffering, in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the peril, in spite of the tribulation, in spite of the nakedness, the famine, the sword, I have purpose. Don't shrink back. Don't stop. I am at work for the good. It is meant to give us strength to see the hand of God is greater than whatever it is we face. Whatever area of the world we go to, whatever area of our life we go to, God is at work for the good. But it's not for your comfort. It's not for just your sake. It's for his good, which ultimately will be for your good. And once again, Jesus says, if the eye is full of light, then the body will be full of light. If if the eye is good, if you're seeing things right, your life will be good. But if the eye is dark, if it's inward, if it's focused just on self, how great is that darkness? Now everything is difficult. Oh, God, why is this happening? Oh, the bills. Oh, the ailments. Oh, you know, the sickness. Oh, the hurt, the calamity. Oh, God, it's just why me, why me, why me? And all of a sudden we become people that are are so inward focused and we feel we're entitled to all these things and we don't see that God is concerned with not just you, but the entire world. In fact, he wants to use you to infect the entire world. And if you will see that, if your eye will see that, it will be good. It will be good. Now, there is a qualification for this promise. Those who love him, God, and who have been called according to what he purposes. It's interesting that Paul says those who love him, because most of the time Paul just says those who believe. But here he says those who love him, and it's not just loved him, but those who are also called according to his purpose. You see, the promise of Romans 8, 28 only belongs to those who love him and have submitted their lives to him. It's not a blanket promise to whoever. Paul brings it down and he says, this is for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The question then we need to ask ourselves, is that us? Do we love God? And have we been called for his purposes or are we still living a life that is for our own? Who are you living for? Is it for yourself or is it for God? Now, understand what that means. 
Because we have so many misconceptions. When someone says, I live my life for God, you think automatically I've got to be a missionary. Automatically I've, you know, I don't know what you're thinking, but our mind goes off into these places. To live for God means to allow God to be God in your life. Joseph lived for God. He was a slave for 17 years. He lived for God. Esther lived for God. There in the palace as a slave, basically. She lived for God. You can live for God and be a slave to Edison or whoever you have to work for. You can live for God right where you're at. You don't have to go somewhere and live for God. You can live for him right where you're at. It means your life belongs to him. It means you care about the things he cares about. It means you want to be a part of what he is doing. You know, we mentioned earlier just the the giving and the things that we want to do there. That's a part of what we can do for God. We talked about the wild ventures and going out and reaching out to the kids in that area. That's just trying to be the hand of God to the community. And you don't need us to do that. You can do that yourself. But you see, you first have to love God. Because when you love him, you'll serve him. We're we're Christians. Not because we serve God. We serve God because we are Christians. Do you understand the difference? We do what we do because we love him. Not because we have to. And so the promise of purpose in your life is connected directly to God himself. The purpose for whatever happens in your life, and it is going to be in the midst of suffering. I I wish I could tell you, you guys, everything's going to be good. The economy's going to turn around, and all of you are going to get jobs with, you know, retirement benefits, and, you know, they found a cure to cancer, and... The truth is, you're going to live this world and you're going to encounter suffering. And there's nothing anyone can do to stop that. That is part of the condition of this world. But what what can be done is you can have purpose to know that even through the suffering, even through the difficulties, even through the sickness, even through the cancer, even through the death, even through the layoffs, even through the firings, even through the sick kids and the heartache, God is at work in your life for good. That you have a foundation that your life will be built on that will not be shaken because there is nothing the world can do to shake you when you have lived your life for God and are called according to his purpose because he is at work. You're not forgotten. And you will see it. And you will know it. And you will have a peace that passes understanding because of God working in you. You know, this verse is is probably one of the greatest scriptures in the whole Bible. And I'm thinking, God, how how can I make this real? How, How can I add to what it is? And really... 
he, he spells it out. And what I want to do now is just read the rest of this chapter. Because after this exclamation of how God is at work in all things for the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, what can you say after that? Well, Paul goes on. He says in verse 29, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be, that's Jesus, the firstborn among many brothers, that's us. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So now he's saying he is before you, he is with you, he is even in front of you. He sees you glorified before you are there. Now you know why all things are able to work for the good, because God has already got it done. You're glorified. He goes on and he says in verse 31, what then shall we say in response to this? What can you say? And I love this because I just get Paul saying, what, what else can I say? Well, I got to say more. I got to tell you, it's not going to end. I got to tell you what this means. And so he goes on and he says, if God is for us, underline those words, for us, who can be against us? Think about that. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Think about that. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died more than that? who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. Who's going to condemn us when Christ is our defense? Who is crucified and more than that, he's alive. Who's going to bring a charge against you when he's defending you? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That doesn't sound good, but he says no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What else did I need to say? It's there. You can't. Any questions? How much God loves you? Any doubts? He gave his son for you. What do you want? If he gave his son, how much more will he give you? Whatever else is for your good. Not for your wants. Our wants can get a little tainted. I want the Dodgers to win. That's because I live here. Because I see this much of the picture that it's this big. Love God. 
Surrender your life for his purposes. And this belongs to you. Let's pray. Father, this is beyond our ability to fully comprehend how you can work in situations that are intended for harm or evil and bring about good is bewildering to us. Yet we see evidences that it's true. And God, we, we need to have the right perspective. We need to see clearly. And I pray you would help us. That we would take the truth of this verse and build our lives on it. That we would understand your good is the only good. Not only for us, but those around us. And that we would also understand for this to be ours, we need to belong to you. As we're praying right now, I, I can't move past this point without acknowledging that there are some here most likely this morning that have not committed their lives to God, that do not really love Him or feel themselves called for His purposes, but basically we love ourselves and are living for our purposes and not God's. And I don't want to move past without bringing an opportunity for you to say, I no longer want to live for myself and for what I want. I want to love God and live my life for what He wants. I want to have the right perspective. I want to have an eye that is good so that my life will be full of light. I want to give you an opportunity here. And if you're here this morning and, and you haven't committed your ways to God, not, not to a church, but to God, to live your life and acknowledge what Jesus has done for you, that he had your good in mind when he went to the cross. And you want to commit your life to the work that God has for you, whatever that work might be. I want to make an opportunity for you to do that this morning. And all you have to do is say, yes, I want that. I want to surrender my will to you, God. I recognize my need and your ability to fill that need through Jesus. And if that's you this morning, would you say yes by just raising your hand?
so I can pray for you. If anyone is here and would like to, God bless you. Anyone else? You just want to be a part of what God is doing and you recognize that you're not, but you would like to be. You don't have to join anything. You just have to say, yes, God, I want that. Father, you see the hand that has been raised. Lord, I pray that you would touch this life as they have opened their heart to you. Lord, I pray your spirit would pour into them. Father, that they would recognize, Lord, their need for you and their dependency on you would continue from this day forward. That they would not live their lives for themselves, but recognize your purpose in their life. That they would love you and grow in that love towards you. That they would learn of you. That they would seek you. And then in that, you will direct their lives, Lord. I entrust us all to you, Lord. I pray that you would help us in this world to have the right perspective, to to see things clearly, God. And may we not fear anything. May we not be hindered by any circumstance. If you're for us, who can be against us? Rome could not stop the church in spite of the Colosseum and the lions. It could not stop your church. What, what's in our way? What hinders us from pressing forward to be useful to the world around us? God, may nothing hinder us. We pray and ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.